Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the Two for One podcast brought to you by Anchor and In the Lane, a Miami Heat and NBA pod. So let's start off with the WNBA. Uh, We made some season predictions a few weeks ago and and we might look like WNBA experts by the way that we did that. Uh, Yeah, spinoff show, Sean. I know, I'm saying we might have to just flip this and just be an exclusive WNBA podcast. But, you know, one of the teams I picked as a, a surprise team, the Connecticut Sun, they have started off five and zero. They're atop the entire league. Um, pretty big surprise. I mean, they they were a good team a few years ago, went to the finals, but they were not expected to be this good this year. And uh, you know, really have have jumped out. I know they have a big game coming up that you uh, you kind of circled on your calendar. They have a really tough one against the Storm coming up. I that's a team that I think is going to challenge them and really push them to see where they're at as far as being in competition for uh, the WNBA championship. The, the depth on the storm is crazy, especially with Canada's uh, assurgence, which is a funny thing to say because it almost sounds like I'm saying the country of Canada has ascended. But uh, Canada is an excellent player for them, and she adds a lot of depth uh, to their bench and utility as a second playmaker. Uh, so they're going to be really tested. When you, watch, when you think about that matchup, do you see the Connecticut Suns possibly having an angle to really compete here for a trophy? Because you feel like the storm is the opponent, right? Yeah, I, I think – Part of it is, you know, when you look at five games into the season um, in, in playing certain matchups, they're overachieving. Uh, the Storm are a better team. Um, and, and I would be I would be surprised. I can't remember where that game is, whether it's home or away for Connecticut. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where you would expect the Storm to win. And, you know, the cool thing about the WNBA is because there's only 12 teams, you have a little bit more parity. Um, you know, on the NBA, you have sometimes where the lower ranking teams beat the higher ranking teams, but I think you see it a lot more in the WNBA because the player pool is smaller. There's a lot more balance to the league. Um, so you get to, you know, as a fan, you get to see a lot more competitive games and, uh, some of these shockers a little bit more often. And I I think it says a lot about the storm too, because some of these opponents that they're beating are like. They're good. Like Las Vegas is good. Asia Wilson, good. And yep. Storm looked super ready to play them. So if they can avoid that parody that you're talking about, it's yeah, they're they're a really good squad. And then I think another surprise, like as much as I thought the Liberty would be a much improved team because they were literally the worst team in the league last year. Um, they're really good. <laughs> like, they're right behind them, five and one, I think, on the season right there they're going to be playing for like legitimate positioning to make a run and they're being led by sabrina of course and and i mean she had uh a 30 point triple double the other day is it 30 it was 30 right 30 point triple double so yeah she had a 30 point triple double the other day and the big surprise is lanny and i mean she's 50 percent from the field 50 percent from three and 22 points a game. Her offense is incredible. She's on a tear right now. And the team's leading score. And, like, back that up with Sabrina's playmaking and ball handling. And you have so many options to go to, whether it be DD or the rookie. There's just so many places for the Liberty to score the ball, push the pace, shoot it. Um, they shot the three ball more than any other team in the league last year. But they were terrible. So their percentages were horrible. Now they have really good shooters and they're shooting it just as frequently. So they look really good. It's fun to watch them. Yeah. I saw a little bit of the game against the wings. Uh, I guess it was yesterday. So it would have been mm. on when we're recording this, it would be Monday. 
Um, and, and, you know, the balance, having other players around um, Sabrina makes it a lot easier for, you know, the, the offense to score. I mean, we see that in the NBA. When you have one person you can focus on, she's there by herself. It's a lot easier for the defense to focus in on her. So that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the cool thing to see is their early success. And um, obviously uh, Sabrina is a big part of it, but they also have some other weapons there too. Yeah. And I like having that go to pick and roll with, with Shook is really important for them. Like they can go to that almost every play Shook and Sabrina and, and they could tackle that every, every single time. So I love watching them. Yeah. And one of the things uh, that also came up just today was uh, Diana Taurasi uh, is going to be missing about a month, four weeks uh, with a broken sternum. And the crazy thing about the story is that they talked about how she's played for the last few games with a broken sternum. So that's incredible. That's insane. <laughs> Tougher than me or you. That's there's no doubt about that. There's no debating. it. Yeah, I, I and this is a story. Sometimes it'll come out um, because these women can't really take breaks. Right. Like there's not as many games. They're not going to be paid as well if they're missing opportunities on the court. Yeah, four weeks going down. One of the greats. We're gonna miss her. I hope she recovers pretty well. But playing through those games like that—that's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. And you know you, that that goes into the point of uh, a lot of WNBA players playing in the off season overseas. Like, yeah, the imagine an NBA player doing that. You know, overseas in the summertime. I know we have summer league and things like that, but they do that because of the financial difference. And we could go on a whole another tangent with that itself, but. uh you know, maybe that's something for another episode is talking about the financial difference between women's basketball players or women's athletes and men's athletes. And that kind of transitions us right into our last point with the WNBA. Um, you know, we talked about the Connecticut Sun earlier and their head coach, Kurt Miller, uh, made a comment about Liz Cambridge uh, and her weight. So Co- Coach Miller from the Sun uh, was fined $10,000, suspended in the game. And the comment was that uh, he said, quote, come on, she's 300 pounds, really referencing her trying to get a call from an official. Um, And she responded with, I would never let a man disrespect me, never, ever, ever, especially a little white one. Uh, So there's there's a lot of things to unpack here. (laughs) Um, You know, let's just start, first of all, with the comment from Kurt Miller. What do you think about that? So I at first referenced um, coaches and players in the NFL and how the comments like that are so frequent. And I think you also went a similar path when you were trying to figure out where you sat on this. Yeah. It's one of these things where I, I don't, I'm not much in comparing, which, you know, that's definitely something you probably have to do in this situation because it re- requires context. Um, but it's a personal comment. And, and so was hers, by the way, in response to Kurt Miller, which I understand acting um, in retaliation, right? Uh, she was sure. attacked in a personal way. So she wanted to attack back personally. But this is one of those situations where I question myself and I, I go, what's really okay um, and what's not? And it's because something said frequently and often make it okay. Like, because we hear these things in the NBA and the NFL a lot, does that make it okay? Um, I've, I've kind of settled on no, and I, I, I'm not okay with personally calling out any player about something that, you know, is their appearance or anything else like that. Yeah. And I agree. And I, I don't necessarily think it matters whether it's male to male or male to female or female to female or female to male for that matter. Um, you know, I think though, especially when you have a male coach talking to a female and I, I would say, myself as a male that coaches girls varsity basketball or girls AAU basketball, 
that would be not something that I would ever want to get into is, is talking to one of my female athletes about their weight. Um, you know, conditioning and things like that. You can go that route. That's part of being a coach, but talking to a female, especially in my case, a young female about her weight, um, it, it would not be a good look for me as a male coach. And I don't even think if, if it was a female coach, that would be a conversation. It may be a little bit easier, um, uh, for a female to talk about, but, uh, you know, talking here in, in the lens of a professional athlete and making comment about opposing player, uh, you know, I really like Kurt Miller. I, I, I worked with him when I was in college, but not a good look for him at all. Yeah. And he immediately apologized it. You got to deal with those repercussions. It seems like he is for the most part. So hopefully they can move. And, and the LaMarcus Aldridge comments um, earlier in the year, by the way, also made me uncomfortable. We got a lot of LaMarcus Aldridge weight stuff early this season um, before the yeah. deadline and going into the buyout. And I, I wasn't super comfortable hearing that stuff. All right. So that takes us out of the WNBA. Let's go into the professional league um, and let's talk reluctantly about the Miami heat game one, incredibly close. It was a slog. Uh, I don't think either offenses performed too well, even though we got a score in the hundred points, but it was a heat loss. One Oh nine, one Oh seven and OT. Let's touch on some of the good, some of the bad, mostly bad, but Sean, where, when you're coming out of game one, let's just compartmentalize that. What were some of those thoughts you're having? Yeah. So I obviously want to start off positive. So uh, from game one, you know, Duncan Robinson shot the ball. Great. Uh, we were able to get him wide open looks. He knocked down those looks. He played very well. Um, you know, obviously losing on that game winner. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting was first Milwaukee didn't call a timeout and, and we had our offensive unit on the floor. So that's why, Duncan ended up guarding Chris Middleton in transition, but to his credit, I don't know if there's many people that could have forced him to take a more difficult shot contested. He just knocked it down. And at that point, you just credit, you can't, you can't complain about Duncan Robinson's defense or anything like that. It's not like he got blown by. Um, you, I, I would actually say his defense most of the game was pretty good. Yeah. I think, you know, and over the, we've talked about this over the course of the last few months, it's been great. Um, so credit to him for that. I mean, he shot the ball. Well, he played good defense. He really kept us alive in a game where our offense wasn't very good and we just fell a play short. Um, and it's unfortunate because we know what happens moving forward, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those times where we just didn't get it done in the clutch times. What did you see? Um, Duncan was great. I think in the story that I, I keep coming back to with, uh, these two games is what players were averaging over 120 points per 100. And when you do that for the Miami heat, it's one guy, two guys, but it was Duncan and Goron who both played really well for us. I know Goron gave up a lot of stuff defensively and, and that's a topic of conversation going forward, but those two guys were great. Duncan, uh, was 171 points per 100 in that first game. Uh, the only other player that got anywhere close to him on the Bucks team was Middleton at 108. So he really outperformed uh, himself and, and most most people in his position there. He had a great game. Gordon had a good game. Everybody else was pretty bad. Um, Tyler's dip is pretty tough to stomach. Uh, especially in game two, it was really tough to stomach because you didn't have a Duncan Robinson stepping up and taking uh, the scoring load responsibilities away from him. 
I left game one thinking to myself, that's the game that we need to win. I, what I didn't know is how <laughs> devastating that thought process would be. Yeah. And, and we had to try to control pace, which is interesting because you, in a way they tried to push off of when we got rebounds. So mm-hmm. if we could stop them, which we did a lot in game one and did not do very often in game two, we tried to push in those opportunities because you want to beat them down the floor before they can get set up. They're a very good defense, but you want to slow it down when it's going the other way. So it's almost like you want to play basketball on a hill. You want to play downhill when you're on offense, you want to make them go uphill when they're on offense. And that's an extremely hard balance to actually make happen. So Um, to that point, when you go to game two and you look at their offensive rebound numbers per 100, they are take or just offensive rebound percentage. They're rebounding the ball forty six percent of the times on their own misses. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's incredibly discouraging. Um, Jesus, forty two percent in game two. It was around thirty percent, just below thirty percent in game one for the season. We played them five times. It's been just below thirty percent, and their average is twenty five. So just to compare, it's about five percent above or 3% above their season average last year. I was just looking at this last year, their season average was around 22. And in the games against them, we held them to 19. They were below their season average. And right now they're above. What's that? Not, not in, and in game two, it was ridiculous. I mean, like, especially in the half court, we couldn't get a defensive rebound to save our life. And that's bad because 74% of their plays are coming from half court. They're setting up their offense and running it and then missing a shot and getting an offensive rebound. Yeah. It's, it's demoralizing. You know, you, when you have good half court possessions on defense and then you don't finish it with a rebound, it's demoralizing. You did all that work. You did a great job of cutting your man off. You forced a difficult shot. And then you got to do it all over again for 14 more seconds. Or most of the time, it's just grabbing it and they're putting it right back in the damn basket. Well, the putback numbers are even more depressing because they are just getting the ball and putting it right back in the basket. They're off 100 missed shots. They're putting it back in 36 times. That means they're getting the offensive rebound around the rim and it's going right back in before they can even tip back out. And by the way, the times that they got it and threw it out, uh, it went to a three-point shooter and they burned us there too. You're going to have to put a uh, check that explicit box when you publish this pod because this is pretty graphic what we're getting into right now. Yeah, deep deep NBA stats make me extremely flustered, okay? I get real past <laughs> in about per 100. <laughs> the other thing I noticed from the stats, and I know we're, we're kind of bleeding this into game two now, and obviously that was just a blowout. So there's a hard, it's hard to really take a lot out of that because we were just down so quickly. They are just crushing us shooting the ball from outside of 14 feet. Oh, Jesus. I mean, they're long range, uh, long mid range shots. They're shooting about 7% above their season average from the corners. They're struggling 15% below their mm-hmm. season average. But then when you get above the break, 14% above their average. So it kind of evens out. They're about 7% above their three point average. Last year, those numbers were flipped. And, and this is where you're starting to see the trend. And as a heat fan, neither of us want to keep seeing these trends because we can start to see the stats are telling us a story and, and Miami's going to have to do something to change these numbers, because if not, you might not have a uh, much cheap basketball to look forward to. on and, Sunday. And we will bleed into categories here into looking forward, because I kind of want to address some things. Do you think that 
because they're shooting so poorly from the corner, like it's actually not like they're shooting really poorly from the corner. Do you think it's almost a time to get that aggressive, like trap zone going at the top and start forcing the ball to the corner shooters, even though we might be giving up open corner shots to Forbes. Like, I, I don't know how to scheme right now, this team, they're really difficult. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the one area where they've shown weakness. And, and it's it's sad that there's only one. But it's not just, you know, the, the series. Uh, game one, they didn't make any corner threes. The mm-hmm. week before when we played them, they didn't make any corner threes. And while they shot it great on Monday night, they only shot it 38% from the corner, which is still not bad, but it's below their season average. Um, you know, and so for the season – they, we played them five times. They're shooting about 21% from the corners. That's not good. But they're shooting 44% above the break. So it's like, how do you do we funnel do? them into the how do you funnel them into the corner and allow them to take those shots? Because they're also burning you from outside of 14 feet, sort of those long mid-range shots. They're also burning you at the rim. It's one of those things where like this ship is sinking. We've got holes all over the damn place. And we're trying to get that, what's it called? The flex glue thing, the flex seal. Flex seal. We're trying to flex seal this damn thing. That might be our next sponsor. We're trying to flex seal the damn boat. And every time we plug a hole, there's another hole on the other side of the boat. You know, and, and Mr. Deadman can only do so much to plug. He these can holes, only man. do so much. You give Deadman some flex seal, and man, he can he can make some things happen. But <laughs> listen, not just a- for two seconds. I'm gonna come back to it just for two seconds. Deadman in 16 minutes. Had a per 100 of 188 and a defensive rebounding percentage of 33%. Bro, can he see the floor? Like, for I need Deadman play 25 minutes. And, you know, not even just statistically, because you're 100% right. The stats on Deadman are great, and he has to get more minutes. Whether he starts, I know that's something we're going to get into in just a second. Whether he starts or not, the one thing that impressed me more than anything, did you notice early in the first half, really when we were – we weren't coming back, but we still had some hope. And Deadman was the vocal guy, like cheering on, being, you know, energetic, pumping up guys, you know, talking to the Bucks. That impressed me because he's only been there a few months. You know, he's not the guy that I wouldn't say should be doing that. It wouldn't be the guy expected to do that. And, and that really, I, I liked him already, but that really convinced me of his role and uh, maybe his buy-in to what we're doing here. Yeah, I think that this is a re. I know it's a little bit of a joke, but this is a re-signed guy, and uh, he can't go anywhere. So we we kind of hinted towards it a little bit, but who who would you start in Game Three? Um, you know, we we talked about a couple different guys, but how would you adjust the starting lineup, or would you adjust the starting lineup? I this is going to sound super blasphemous because I don't think you like him either, and I know a lot of our friends don't like him. I I I want to try Iggy at four. I just want to try it. His he he has good offensive production right now. He's just he's he's when he decides to shoot, he's making the shot. Um, he's got but, the highest net rating on the team right now. I it it he's he when the, he moves the ball well, he's just so sometimes he makes the dumbest decisions with yep. the ball. When he does turn it over, it's so bad that it makes you think he's turning the ball over all game. He's not, but it it really feels like he is cuz he he fumbles a little bit, but he, he he's playing well with the minutes he has and Ariza can't do anything with Giannis. So we might as well put the guy out there that might get the opportunistic steal maybe. Yeah. 
I mean, size wise, he's at such a disadvantage, but you know, his hands are good. His anticipation is good. Um, uh, Ariza, I think we have to start deploying him more on Middleton and holiday or make him more of a roamer, you know, put him on Dante or put him on Connaughton or Forbes and, and let him roam a little bit more and play safety. Yeah. Or put him out there in the zone, put him out front in the zone. That, that too, you know, you could use his length and we did that last year. I just don't know, man, they're shooting the ball so well from I know. Three outside of the corner and, and obviously the long range twos. I don't know if you can zone them, but at this you, point you, you could blitz. The, here's the problem. You can blitz the top, right. Um, and overcommit and obviously get killed inside by Giannis. But now the corner becomes, it's not PJ Tucker shooting that corner three anymore. It's not Giannis shooting the corner three. If we're blitzing now, all of a sudden, like the small forward could be there or it could be Middleton, you know? Yeah. And the hard thing I think about trapping is I don't think you can trap Giannis. And I don't think you want to. I think the more he has the ball pounding it into the ground, we saw this last year. I'm okay with that. As long mm. as you can build that wall and, and make sure he can't straight line drive to the basket. And he's so big, he can see over and see through your trap. But I would trap other guys. I'd trap Holiday. I'd trap Middleton. The risk, though, is when Giannis is on the floor, if you break the trap, now you're playing four on three or three on two, and one of those people is Giannis. How the hell do you keep him away from the basket? So my my counterpoint to that, and this is like deep basketball bullshit, he's scoring anyway. He like He's scoring the ball anyway. We might as well go for the turnover game. That's a risky proposition because it's going it? to you're going to end up with a score like I, I feel like on Monday night where it could be good. If, but if it's bad, it's going to be really freaking bad. Yeah. But we just went through Monday night yeah, <laughs> like, and we we're trying much. something else. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I think there is going to be, I think there's going to be wrinkles suppose going to try mm. new things, whether it's uh, whether it's changing the starting lineup or changing how we play. Um, did did we even answer the question about who we start? Did we just get off on a complete? We just got off on a complete tangent. <laughs> I would not start. I don't think this is a question. Uh, you you can't start Deadman because of the backup minutes. That's where I think it gets yeah. tricky. He he his um, his best utility is going against their bench. He just kills them. It's he's a weapon to use against that. And I would still say you increase his minutes but you're increasing his minutes at the expense of maybe Ariza's minutes or, you know, Ooh. playing less, not Iguodala because he already plays about a good, like maybe less uh, Kendrick or Tyler minutes. Obviously they play different positions, but as you're sliding people around, I would adjust the minutes that way. I wouldn't take them away from Bam certainly, but I would overlap them. We saw that it worked a little bit. I'm surprised. And I was, I was completely wrong. I, th- I didn't think Debman and Bam would work together. And it worked at times uh, in game two. It works against this team sometimes. Yeah, I think. Because of their size. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we could play them against, like, the Nets, right? Like, I, oh, I don't no, think no, that, no. that would work out. Um, and also, just to clarify, I'm not advocating to run 2-2-1 two, two, the, the whole game. I just – it kind of makes me mad that I'm not seeing Spo just throw looks at guys. Like, this is a Spo thing. That's what he does. He throws defensive looks at teams, and especially great players. And it's like he doesn't want to shake up. He just wants to stick with one defensive scheme. I've never seen this out of him before. And I, and I thought at the end of the game, second half uh, on Monday, 
it was kind of one of those situations where you just throw shit at the wall and see what happens. And, and he didn't really experiment very much. He played different guys, but I didn't see the experimentation that I thought I would see. And, uh, you know, the, the, the one other question, I guess, besides Deadman is, do you start Goron? Do you take Kendrick out of the starting lineup? I don't know. I, yes, I guess. I like, because Goron just looks more prepared in this moment. Um, but he also can get any separation the last game. And nope. neither can Tyler, by the way, who has killed the Bucks in the past. He, he can't get to any open space. The only shot that all three of them can get are the one that they're all missing. Free throw line jumper or either to the left or the right of the free throw line. Like you can't that that shot has to go down. They better be all practicing that constantly. Yeah, we're shooting against the Bucks this season, right around 31 to 35%, right in that short mid to long mid, right around the nail is what you were talking about. It has to be higher. You know, That's you compare that to the Bucks. Shot. Yeah, I mean, you compare it to the Bucks, we're shooting around 40 to 45%. We're shooting at 10% less. That's a big difference. And, and we can get that shot, like you said. It's not like we're having to work hard to get it. The Bucks will give that shot up. And what drives me nuts is when we dribble through that shot into a oh. contested shot closer to the basket take the uncontested shot don't force it into the contested shot and try to shoot it over Giannis and Brooke Lopez and those guys you can kind of convince me a little bit there's a school of thought that's telling me that Bam needs to go at Brooke Lopez to get him in foul trouble because he's such a problem for us which I think is absolute bullshit Bam needs to shoot that jumper but you can talk to me about it but that is literally Kendrick Nunn's shot Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's his shot. He's been relying on it all year. Yeah. And, and, and I know you've talked about this with, with Bam, if he doesn't have it yet, this, ha- this summer, he has to work from mm. the short corner to the elbows. That range has to be his, he has to be able to catch it, turn, look at the basket and shoot, or he's one dribble away where he can attack either direction. He has counters to it. That's his game. Don't worry about the three pointer yet. That'll come right. Right now, it has to be that part. If he doesn't have that part, I don't think he's ever going to be a back-to-the-basket post player. He's not going to be Shaq, you know, Akeem Olajuwon. He shouldn't be at this point in his career. No. He shouldn't. It's it's just not what he is, and, and you would be forcing him to become something that he's not. And, and do what he can do. And we know he can, and for whatever reason, he's just preventing himself from attacking in areas that we know he can be successful in. We're going to transition into our mailbag and it kind of keeps this conversation going, but what are, this comes from cease. What are the major differences between how Milwaukee defended this last year and this year and what's making our offense so horrible? Well, I think part of it we touched on earlier is they're still giving up the same type of shots. Um, We're just not making those shots. Uh, You know, you're looking at those mid range shots. You can get almost all the time against Milwaukee. They're going to give up threes. Our, our philosophies, in a way, are very similar, that we like to protect the paint. Um, they're just doing a better job of it. And, and it's probably a lot to do with their size, but they're just executing their defensive game plan better than we are this year. And yeah, that's I'm simple, kidding. but I'm sure you can expand on that a little bit too. I, I, I want to put a really hot take out there and say that our offense is no more or less terrible than it was earlier in the year. Like – we're just missing the shots. I think the 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 split we're splitting a lot of free throws. Now in game two, the game was out of hands quick, right? So it's kind of hard to weigh that. But 
in game one, we're splitting a lot of free throws. We're missing a lot of putbacks, um, like a significant amount of putbacks and, and right there at the rim, which kind of sucks. I, we just can't buy a bucket. And sometimes the offensive flow looks good. We'll get good shots, but we're, we can't hit anything. I, I, again, I agree with you. You said a lot that I agree with for the most part, we're defending them the same way, right? Like we're not doing anything differently on defense than we did last year. Yeah. Looking at, um, cleaning the glass, comparing last year to this year, and not just the playoffs, looking at all the games against the bucks, the percentage of where our attempts are coming from are almost identical. Um, 25% at the rim this year, 24.6 last year, basically identical. For mid-range, 33% this year, 30.7 last year. So fairly close. So the difference is really last year we shot more threes. We were 44.7. This year we were 42. This year we're shooting about 2% more mids. So the rim's the same, a little bit more mid this year, a little bit more three last year. Now that's not accuracy, that's attempts. So Mm. the difference really boils down to the fact that we're shooting it a lot poorly, a lot more poorly this year than we were last year. Yeah. I think the biggest difference too, is some of Milwaukee, not our defensive changes, which obviously we had to make some positional defensive changes and how we handle some switches. I'm not saying we are defending them the exact same way, but Milwaukee's definitely defending us different. And that, that um, Middleton Jimmy switch, when Jimmy does a pick and roll with bam, that is so much cleaner this year. They're defending us really well when we go into any Jimmy Bam pick and roll. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And it's something, again, as we were just talking about adjustments, it's something that Spo has to figure out. Has to find a way to create offense for us, make our offense easier, and get quality shots. Because you can't rely on Jimmy Butler to just find a way to win four of the next five games. It's just not going to happen. I love Jimmy Butler. I love Bam Adebayo. It's just not going to come on their backs. It's going to come from creating a difference somehow offensively and defensively. Uh, so let's move into our next question. This one comes from nothing but heat. He asks, what are your thoughts on Dwayne Dedman's contributions so far this series? He's our best player. Is that hyperbole? I don't know if that's hyperbole or not. He, I mean, he was our leading score last game. He's so freaking good. I, I, it almost is becoming like a joke, right? Like it's a myth. Dwayne Deadman, he's so good. Like, honest to God, as a backup big, he has impressed the hell out of me. He's a, a black hole whenever there's a rebound opportunity. He just sucks that shit right in. Um, he gets to his game really well. Like, I, I never thought about Dwayne Deadman having a like a, a play style, getting his baskets, but he gets his buckets. And we saw he can shoot the three ball. Like, that's in yeah. his bag, too. Um, pay that man, please. Yeah. And I, and I think you may see him shoot the ball more. If he's going to get increased minutes, he's going to have to be able to play from the outside in order to play with Bam more. I don't think he can just play the dunker spot, play at the block, um, and rely on offensive rebounding. That's not going to fit very well with spacing. So you're right. I mean, his return on investment, I mean, holy cow, there's no way anybody could expect what he's done so far, the contributions he's had just playing significant minutes. I never would have expected it personally. So uh, if there's anybody, it's either him or Goron that you would say right now, who's been our best player of this series. It's one of those two. 
And then that takes us into this, which is a question from Adrian. What is the future of Spo continuing to play these one big lineups beyond this season? And should Miami be considering finding a front court partner to pair with Bam to help relieving some of these interior defensive issues? Yeah, I think this goes right into our discussion about who's going to start game three. And this is why I don't think Dwayne Dedman can start is because our roster is not built to have two big starting. We signed Dedman because of our lacking depth. We know Precious is not ready. He's probably still not going to be ready next year. Ariza is not really a big. I'm not going to lump him in there. He's a three playing the four. So unless you're willing to play belly, if you play Dedman in the starting lineup right now, you have belly as your big and Omer. Omer, and I don't think Omer is ready. He hasn't played any minutes yet. So, you know, if you're looking to uh, to add a big and you have Deadman off the bench and you add another big next to Bam, it's a philosophical change, though. It's going to require a lot of change to what we do, um, but it's something that you could do in the offseason if that's the route they want to go. If it's an athletic big, though, is it that different of a change? Like, if it's a John Collins, I mean, that kind of <laughs> – that kind of comes in the form pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, you know, James Johnson, a guy that was here just a few years ago, you know, that, that type of guy, because John Collins is great. I mean, he, he's a guy that a lot of teams are going to want. I would think James Johnson's a guy that you can get at a, obviously a much cheaper rate, but that type of player, whether it's James Johnson or not, you know, the big, strong, almost like Jay Crowder in a way, uh, James is a little bit bigger, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's where Trevor Ariza, although he can guard, smaller quicker players better you you've seen right already with Giannis he struggles to guard the bigger stronger taller players he just he's just not very big um and so that's the weakness I think that we've been exposed of so far in this buck series and by the way some of the twitter discourse is and this is I god I hate revisionist twitter it's the worst yeah. it, this is not Ariza's fault like he's not playing defensively this bad against this lineup because he's a bad player. He literally does not match up with them. It's one of those things where you, you know, you read Twitter and and I hate to be the person that like you enjoy it and soak it all in when it's good. And when it's bad, you're like, Oh, they're so bad. Don't, don't read that crap. But it's, it's just ridiculous sometimes. And the, and the, I told you so's, you know, whether it's good or bad, oh, they I come told- out. I love it. You know, like, I mean, I told you so everything, but you're never wrong. You're always right. You only, you only were right about your takes. I mean, it's one of those things that you just understand and that's how the app works. And, and I, th- I thrive on chaos Twitter, but I hate when it turns into attacking our own players. And, and I think it's interesting that over the last day or so with, you know, everybody's heat culture, right? Well, what, pil- what pillar of heat culture is midway through game two of the series, you're, you're quitting on the team getting rid of everybody, you know, Spolster is overrated. Riley sucks as a GM. He signed all those guys last summer. Like where was that on the back of the t-shirt? I didn't see that. It must've not got printed by, uh, you know, the, the culture squad. So show some guts. I mean, I know we, we joke about it. <laughs> Jesus. Show my some goodness. fucking guts. Yes. Like, even, I, even if we're going to go down, my goodness, like just, you know, stick up for your team and have some hope. If you don't have hope, don't even watch the game. Like, what's the point? Yeah, and that had to be even the convert. I gotta imagine that's the conversation in the locker room right now. I can't think that they're even talking about a series. It's got to just be this game. It's got to be game three. Yeah. Like, let's just, guys, come on, show it for one game. You know, and, and 
we'll see what happens. It's all about adjustments. See, we've, we've talked about it, you know, throughout this whole episode, but you just got to hope. If you don't win game three, it's it's a wrap. One, two, three, Cancun, I think is what you said. One, on one two, three, Cancun. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is, you know, so. Finished our mailbag section with a question from the Giancarlo Navis of Miami EP. Yes. Would Harry B. and Lowry help this team? I'll hang up and listen. Yes. yes.